Sing, goddess, the, the anger of when Peleus, God son of Achilles. And the earth. Tell me the about a complicated to me equal to the gods that man. On a hang thousand bucklers. Man is Agamemnon. My husband is just the work delivery. Gentlemen, I'm worse. Would you not forget it? Ever can destroy. Will be to govern the peoples of the world in your empire. Greetings. I'm Timothy. You're listening to the Good Fight, where Campus Meets Christ. We are coming in for our third episode of the fall semester, um, but our second work on the Literature Humanities syllabus. So today we'll be talking about Homer's Odyssey, uh, which is just a great book. But before we get to that, let's see who we're talking with this week. Hi, guys. This is Tina. Hello, hello. This is Grace Alita. Hi, this is Faven. Second week in a row. Woo! So proud. Hi, this is Ardashir. Um, first time. Here. First time. Nice. It's good so to have you, Ardashir. Ardashir, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? What year are you? What are you thinking about studying? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a sophomore in CC, uh, thinking of classics in English, but uh, nice. not sure. Classics, man. So good. Yeah. Someone's best, definitely not biased here. It's the best thing you could study. If you haven't noticed by now, I like to stack our recordings with like classics people because I think they just don't worry. Tina and I will remain strong, <laughs> steadfast. I don't know. You know, when you're talking about the classics, you got to have people who <gasps> you also need some econ majors, some, math majors. <laughs> and some engineers. No, no. Yeah. I like the diversity. I like the diversity and some poli sci majors. But you have to have a strong, come. strong foundation too. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Interesting. Interesting. It's like we're building on a rock. And that's classics. Um, I think it might be the fact that we're all Christians. Right. Who love <laughs> Jesus. The true rock. To you true know what rock? else we love? We Don't love. We do. What do we love? The Odyssey. We do. What do you love about the Odyssey? Oh, it's so fun to read. It is it, fun to read. It's more fun than the Iliad, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I read it, and I think would have been high school and it was a good read it's been a good read since then every time i've read it it's been a good read i love how both the odyssey and the iliad start in a very similar way you want to read the poem this week i think that's a so that the poem it i mean it just provides a great summary of the whole yeah. work like there's nothing better than the poem for a summary the entire stanza yeah that first stanza Sing to me of the man-muse, the man of twists and turns, driven time and again off course, once he had plundered the hallowed heights of Troy. Many cities of men he saw and learned their minds, many pains he suffered, heartsick on the open sea, fighting to save his life and bring his comrades home. But he could not save them from disaster. Hard as he strove, the recklessness of their own ways destroyed them all. The blind fools, they devoured the cattle of the sun, and the sun god wiped from sight the day of their return. Launch out on his way, mu- on his story, muse, daughter of Zeus, start from where you will, sing for our time too. So good. Mm. So good. I always love the beginning. Yeah. Like, sing to me. And the Iliad was sing goddess, right? Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it depends on which translation you're using. So this is from the Fagel's translation. Okay. In uh in Lit Hum they usually read the uh the Emily Wilson translation. Mm. But there's a lot of translations out there. The one I'll link probably in the bio or the you know, the episode description will be from probably some like nineteenth century scholar and it'll be like Paradise Lost level 
of yeah. language. The original. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's a work of art. Not copyrighted. <laughs> Most importantly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's why they can use it. It's like the Project Gutenberg. It just has a ton of free. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Free translations. Artisher, what do you love about the Odyssey? Um, what I love about the Odyssey, I think it combines two things. In my mind, myth and poetry are two different things, right? And mm. But myth, I think, doesn't have to be poetic. It's a sequence of events. It's a story. And there's lots of that in the Odyssey, these monsters, these journeys, these strange things going on. Myth has a quality of delightful strangeness to it. Mm. Uh, poetry doesn't have to be mythical, but poetry tells things beautifully. And I like how the Odyssey combines both poetry and myth. Hmm. I understand why uh, you stacked it with some classics majors. Yeah. I see that now, too. Just know what they're talking about. Can you say mm. the same thing about the Iliad? Um, I guess I could, but, you know, the Iliad does focus, I don't know, a little more on human. It feels yeah. more historical. Yeah. The Iliad feels a lot more historical. Mm. Yeah. Not that it isn't more historical necessarily, but when you're reading it, it just feels much more like these are men in war mm-hmm. versus the Odyssey is like sea monsters and stuff. Cyclops. Yes. It's Cyclops. a little bit less adventurous in the like childlike way, right? Like when you're a child and you're thinking about adventures, they're not quite as brutal as I think the Iliad is. Um, Or at least mine weren't like as a kid. Mm -hmm. But this idea of like, I mean, not to say the Odyssey isn't still brutal because there definitely are very brutal elements to it. Um, But it's, I think there's an element of like um, a more romantic adventure of like all these different beasts. Yeah. So just, Kind of going back to the prom and a little bit of factual introduction to the work. Um, so another long epic poem written by Homer, the Odyssey. Um, and it doesn't really pick up where the the Iliad leaves off, um, but it's definitely in the same narrative, right? So Odysseus is one of these uh, Greek generals that we see in the Iliad leading the Greek army the Achaeans against the Trojans. And now this is kind of his tale of coming back home, um, of crossing the sea uh, to get back home, and the adventures he has, and the difficulty, um, as the prom hints, he loses his men. And it's actually uh, a long time, 20 years later, that he actually makes it home. And I'm not going to spoil what happens then uh, if you haven't read it, but it's a very fascinating reading. Um, and if you want to know before we might end up spoiling it later, you should pause now and just read the whole book and then listen to the rest of the episode. I swear the Odyssey is a page turner. It's a page turner. Once you get started, you're just, you're just dragged to read the next page. And that's one thing I love about it. Yeah. Why do you think Homer starts the Odyssey? Um, not necessarily from the beginning, but we're plunged in the middle. Um, and we learn the beginning of this of Odysseus's journey in the middle of the text and not really in the beginning. Why? What do you think Homer's purpose is in doing that? I feel like there's an element of suspense to it. Like there is a slight bit of confusion. Maybe we're not confusion. I don't think it's confusing reading because you are put in the middle of a story developing. Um, but it is an extra captivating like, I think it's 
element like it's similar to why to it's like the reverse of authors who use cliffhangers in this case it's like a cliff beginning but you're given the answer later on but by the time you get to the middle you have so many more questions of course you continue reading or there's more going on there's more developing to confirm if i'm remembering this correctly so in the odyssey we sort of start in the middle but later on is it odysseus who starts recounting mm -hmm. all of his adventures mm -hmm. to the hosts yeah, yeah you actually you start with telemachus right his son and um kind of uh what athena it's athena right yes the goddess yes. that comes to speak to yeah, him as what athena Odysseus's is like best friend trying to get telemachus uh, odysseus's son to do um and so there's kind of like some backstory interwoven in there like you get Athena talking with the other gods about, hey, you know, we should help out Odysseus here. He's unjustly punished. Um, so you get some of that, uh, which is, is backstory. Um, but I think, too, one reason is uh, just historically, I don't think the audience of this poem are unaware of the rest of the story, mm. right? They're steeped in all of these mythic stories and for them like this is just a section of the grand framework that we only have parts of now yeah um and on a literary level i really like what you your choice of words faven you said why we plunged into it i might be wrong but when we first meet odysseus in the odyssey isn't he like literally plunged in the sea like he's in the waves he's in the middle of things himself and I don't know if there's like a parallelism there almost in like the style with which um, the uh, Odyssey opens and um, how we meet Odysseus and also to the point of Odysseus recounting his own story and to that point about the audience not being unaware of the rest of the story. I think that's really interesting in introducing a concept of art as performance and also art as like, you know, narrated. Who's narrating? Is the narrator trustworthy? Is Odysseus a trustworthy narrator of his own adventures? Mm. So there's lots of questions raised by that. You know, I, I was actually reading a, um, a first century AD satirist, uh, Juvenal, and his 15th satire is literally like 30 lines of text is just like riffing off of this idea that Odysseus is someone you can't trust because, hey, he's the only one who survives to tell... Um, about all of his men so it's interesting like even the ancients right 2000 years ago were were asking that question but i think kind of turning away then from kind of an, an ageless question to another ageless question um is what do we learn from the odysseus and his odyssey um as as 21st century people right like, what's in there that we apply to our own lives? Well, we often use this metaphor of a journey for our lives. Um, and what's really interesting, especially in the context of the core, is as we go on, it moves from being a spatial metaphor to, especially with St. Augustine, it becomes a, a metaphor of time, a temporal metaphor. In other words, it becomes a question of a journey through one's life retold through memory. And so it's kind of this appropriation of this idea of a spatial journey almost that we can transpose that we think of as a story in terms of our memory, in terms of where we're going, in terms of what we're experiencing, because 
not all of us go on these long, arduous, physical, spatial journeys. Unfortunately. And run into all these, all these strange Fortunately. creatures. <laughs> but, but it provides like psychologically and in terms of our experience through time we can um, see a journey unfolding. So it provides a very powerful um, metaphor or narrative structure um, for our lives. Wait, you mean the Odyssey provides a narrative structure for our lives? How does that work? Not, not the Odyssey. I think it has. Um, people use the term Odyssey nowadays just to talk about their, their um, experiences. If someone's gone through a long and arduous period, um, they go through uh, they talk about it as an odyssey. I guess um, what I'm trying to say is that this text has provided elements that we that have become such a part of modern thinking, even though it's taken out of the um, literary context, or the context of the specific story as a spatial journey, and we transpose it onto our own experiences. Um, and yeah, it provides very powerful language to talk about that. Yeah, and I noticed in the poem, the last line is, uh, Muse, daughter of Zeus, start from where you will, scene for our time too, and find mm -hmm. that really interesting. At the beginning of the Odyssey itself, it's already applying itself to our time, whenever that may be. Seems to be predicting its uh, the books, the text, immortality, in a mm -hmm. sense. I wonder then if there's anything we relate to specifically as Christians that we wouldn't if we weren't Christians in the text. My first thought not just about what we relate to as Christians, but what anyone can relate to is this idea, which again, in the Fagel's translation, it's translated as a man of twists and turns, this idea yes, of polytrophos. Yeah. Twists and turns, complicated. It's been translated other places, but um, this idea of uh, a complicated journey, a complicated man. And what's really interesting is that in book four of the Odyssey, um, Menelaus is telling the story of his encounter with the um, god Proteus, who is also described as, um, in terms of twists and turns, as someone who changes himself. So there's this kind of aspect to the divine in the Odyssey, where the gods seem to be twisting and turning and changing and complicated, like Odysseus. And life seems to be full of unpredictable twists and turns and these competing things seem to be pulling at the strings of your story, right? And I think that's a feeling many people would relate to, whether they're Christians or not. And I don't think it's a feeling that as Christians we're called to reject because we believe in a God who's sovereign and in control of our lives, because the Bible raises this question. Um, right next to the neat moral world of Proverbs, we get the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Where it looks like things are unpredictable. It's sandwiched also with the book of Job ahead of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this poses interesting questions about the human experience, how we live, how sometimes life seems to work, and God's, or God or the gods in this case seem to operate that mm. um, whether we're Christians or not, we have to deal with. That's kind of one major theme of the book is this polythropos as, as it is in the, in the proem. Um, which I, I think is interesting. It can be taken in this way of twists and turns, but then it can also mean kind of a man of, of many faces, of many characters. And then throughout the Odyssey, then you see Odysseus really masking himself, right, in all of these different identities. Um, so on the one hand, you have this book about changes, 
um, and appearance. But then another major theme is this idea of uh, Xenia, I think is what it is, or not Xenia, maybe Xenia, but um, like how to treat guests in your home. Uh, and this is, it comes up everywhere, um, is just like properly treating guests. And I wonder what you guys might think about that idea in terms of uh, both the 21st century and as Christians. So I uh, first Googled it. Xenia is the ancient Greek concept of hospitality. I got it. Look at that. Congrats. Uh, for reading the Odyssey, especially the book on Cyclops, I found it really interesting how uh, Odysseus and his men, they go to this island or this land and they just assume that they will be treated with hospitality and they walk into this cave and see wow there are so many great things here let's wait for the host to come back and see what better things he can give us so there's this assumption of hospitality mm. which i find to be really interesting and um i can't tell if it's good or bad in the in their context well it definitely turns out bad for them yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but I think, I mean, one way I look at it is like uh, there's a, a passage, I think maybe in one of Peter's epistles um, mm. where he says something like, uh, you know, be nice to strangers because you never know if it's going to be an angel. Um, and this is actually kind of the mentality that a lot of the, the Greeks have. Is, Hebrews. Oh, it's in Hebrews? Okay. Yeah. Thanks for correcting me. Um, it's this idea that, oh, you know, you've got to be nice to these strangers because, hey, that might be a goddess in disguise or that might be a god in disguise and you don't know it. Um, and Except so, that the connotation is very different. The connotation is different. Like the angel is more of like they are deserving of this goodness that you will bestow upon them. And then in the Odyssey, it's like, yep, they might just like make something horrible happen to you mm -hmm. if you don't treat them well. So it's a very different like mm. ramification with the same maybe manifestation, but different intention behind it. Yeah. We also do see that happen in the first book. Um, Telemachus is treating this stranger, a strange woman in his house and realizes, oh, it's Athena. Right. Yeah. Uh, the idea of hospitality, I mean, it's something we'll also see in Genesis, right? Um, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's juxtaposed mm. with, um, it starts just before then, Abraham shows hospitality to strangers who do, who are God and angels, right? Mm -hmm. And um, Sodom fails dramatically mm -hmm. to show hospitality. And there's that juxtaposition of hospitality versus lack of it. Uh, so there's that. And in terms of showing hospitality to angels in disguise or to, to the Greeks, gods or goddesses in disguise, I wonder whether Christianity, the change it makes to that mindset, is to extend that concept, right? Not to, to, not to say that they are gods or goddesses, but to say that they are made in the image of God. Mm. To say that, well, doesn't Jesus basically use this language to say you took in, like, you fed the hungry, you mm. clothed those who were naked, gave drink to those who were thirsty, and visited those in prison? And in as much as you did these to my people, you did it for me, right? Mm. So. Um, Christianity doesn't operate on the off chance that this person might be an angel or 
a um, or a God, but it operates on the principle that these are children of God. Amen to that. Or you have the um, the Good Samaritan, right? Who is your neighbor? Well, your neighbor is everyone, right? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Yeah, and I think the the like explanation then for this idea of like um, someone being deserving, quote unquote, of goodness is like, well, why? It's it's I think it's very tied with the idea of like forgiveness. Like, why do we forgive as Christians? Well, it's because we were first forgiven. Why do we treat others in a way that like they may or may not deserve? Why do we treat them as though they do deserve that which Christ would deserve? Well, because that's what Christ did for us. Christ treated us like we deserved as much as him, even though we didn't or don't. I don't know if that was too convoluted of a way of putting it, but very clear. There is a scene that I love in the Odyssey that I do want to bring up. That's okay. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, I when I read it, I was like, "This is, this is so Christian." Um, but uh, it was when Odysseus asked his um, companions to tie him up, and commanded them to put um, to cover their ears as they were passing through the the the, the, the nymphs. Wait, how was that? Wait, I'll let you explain. Wait, sorry. Not, continue. Continue. Not, so, they're the sirens. The sirens. Yes, the they're, sirens. Um, you got to look up pictures of them because they just look weird. <laughs> like just Google sirens Greek mythology and you'll be blown away by the images. Oh, go ahead, Faden. I'll look that up now. Um, but yeah, as they were sailing through, he was gnashing and screaming. He wanted um, to go to sirens and, you know, they couldn't hear them because they covered their ears. But I started to think about temptation and sin and... Um, struggling and wrestling to endure um to to make it to the desired destination um and yeah what can we as christians learn from from this specific scene in the odyssey put the earwax in your ear put the <laughs> i want to forget what it was but like put the cotton or whatever it was yeah, in it, it your was ear wax. It okay yeah wax. it was the wax put the wax in your ear and keep keep walking straight <laughs> don't desire the beautiful voices of the sirens your man, get over yourself. You know, I wonder if that's actually where we get the term earwax. That's actually a good question. I have no idea. Or if I, Homer made it wax as like a funny pun. It's, it's like earwax. <laughs> yeah, because I think wax is referring to the type of substance it is. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's a pun. Maybe. You know, it's funny you brought that up, Faven, because Artishir and I were literally joking about talking about that passage earlier today. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Yeah, it's like... Um, well, what were you guys going to talk about? No, I mean, exactly what you said, Grace. It was, mm. you know, don't don't uh, tie yourself to the mass. Just, like, cover your ears. Although you're right, Faven, in the fact that it really does represent temptation. Because I feel like that is what humans do so often. We know that we're tempted by something. And instead of being like, oh, let me protect myself from that. Let me put the wax in my ear. It's like, no, let's. how close can I get to sinning but not sinning? Like, how close can I get... And I think Christ calls that out in um, like in, in the idea of it's not just like take the adultery passage. And mm-hmm. he's like, you have heard it said that anyone, well, wait. Who looks at a woman? Who looks, no, oh. I'm getting it mixed up. The conclusion being anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart has sinned mm-hmm. as opposed to merely like committing adultery. Mm-hmm. Um, like both are 
adultery. And I think that's very similar to this idea of like not putting wax in your ear. It's like not putting wax in your ear when you know you should and know that you could mm. is like is choosing to lust after the sirens voices in this case and like walking so close. Mm. And what I love about that scene, it's it's the wrestling aspect of it, the struggling, the wrestling, the pain, um, because, you know, when, you know, when we do look at God's commandments and desires for our lives. And when he tells us to stay away from certain things that are very difficult, um, you know, it, we can be like, well, it's so hard. He's demanding so much of us. We're only humans and we desire, you know, humanly things. So we should just, you know, give in. Um, and this could be for in, er in every area of our lives that we struggle. Um, but it goes to show that, you know, like you must carry your cross and you will struggle um, in the face of temptation and sin, it's not just no, leave, but you're going to actively wrestle and endure. Yeah, this might be a stretch, but I wonder if it also teaches us that sometimes the area where, where we will be most tempted is that area in which we excel um, to some extent. Mm -hmm. Because remember, this is in the context of an oral cult a culture of oral poetry, right? Song, essentially, the Odyssey is that. And Odysseus is renowned for his ability with words, um, his ability to put on disguises with words. And the sirens are essentially, you know, that's what they do. They sing a most like an incredibly beautiful song that's meant to deceive, right? Mm -hmm. And for some mm -hmm. reason, he thinks he needs to hear that. He needs to hear like, uh, yeah, I don't want to overanalyze the scene, but it is kind of like, why is that a particular temptation for him? Is it just the desire for knowledge or... Is it particularly, does it particularly resonate with him as someone who also so frequently uses words to mask, him, mask himself? Mm. And uh, yeah, so. It's also interesting to note that, and maybe because of this, but maybe not, like he does recognize that he won't be able to withstand the temptation on his own, which is always, it always frustrated me so much. Like every time I've read that passage, because there's such an easy solution, right? You see it and you're like, just put the wax in your ear. You know what to do. You know, like how to solve this. Um, but his desire to like hear them sing is greater than that. But he's not so foolish as to think that he can overcome it on his own, like of his own will. Like he still does want to be tied down yeah. and he still does command them not to let him, like not to release him no matter how much he pleads. And so there, I wonder if that like part of that is because he does recognize the power of words. Like obviously he, in this case, there is the mystical concept of sirens where like he does recognize that they have that power and that's exactly what they're known for. But I wonder if there might also be an element of like in being crafty himself, knowing that he can't withstand the craft of his own will. I like that reading though. I think it it's fitting to Odysseus' character it shows his pride i feel i feel like with artisher's reading it's like he's competitive he wants to know why are these sirens better than me at deceiving and speaking and singing um so he's prideful and he wants to hear them to so before there's this saying in chinese in chinese it's it's like unless you hit the wall you won't turn back so he wants to hit the wall and actually hear it before he realizes, oh, he can't beat them. He can't beat this temptation. Now, it, it makes me think about just like human nature also. Um, and just the biblical story, when God 
commands his people to avoid something or to not do something. And we can't simply comply. We have to test it. We have to push the water. We have to test the waters. Um, you know, we see this with Adam and Eve. Um, we see this with David. We see this with Abraham. We see this with so many that have done, that have transgressed God's command in their lives. Jesus is the only one that actually stayed obedient. And it makes me question just why we we have to see it, where we have to try it on our own for us to realize that it's not good or that we are weak or, you know, to realize that, you know what, God, you are right. Instead of just being complete, being in complete obedience um, when we hear it first from God. Yeah. And what is it that pushes us to do it? So often a voice that sounds, you know, like it's speaking the truth. That's what the serpent does in the garden in the biblical mm-hmm. story. Um, sounds close enough to the truth, but just questions it slightly and mm. strikes us in that area where we're actually strongest already to push us to go just a little further, right? Uh, Adam and Eve are already made in the image of God, but the serpent promises them that they will be like God, you know, just, mm. just to go that, that much further. And um, it's very interesting, just this idea of, you know, how these voices operate, I think. Yeah, and you very much get that picture of deception with with Odysseus even in his words. Um, I think there's only like two times that Odysseus actually introduces himself as Odysseus in the entire book. Only twice. And he introduces himself a lot in this book. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, and that's where we get that polythropos, this many faces, many characters. Mm. Um, and I think, I mean, we can, we can look at our own lives too and, and see the ways that we do that too, where we are you know, we're bending the wow. truth a little bit just to fit in to a, a certain narrative. And even as Christians, right, we'll do that. Mm. We'll, we'll bend our, our identity in Christ a little bit to fit into a culture, to fit into a different uh, ideology. But I think ultimately, Mm. uh, you know, God is always calling us to be Christians first, which means we always introduce ourselves as Odysseus. Um, Mm. We're never, you know, some strange king who got enslaved and then crossed the sea and somehow ended up on this island. He uses that one. Named nobody. He uses that one. He uses that one. So, um. I think that's a good place to stop unless anyone has any final closing thoughts they want to talk about. Just on that vein, are there any characters in the Odyssey who aren't full of twists and turns or is everyone trying to adapt in? The good one. So the, the swine herd actually um, in the later half of the book, Mm. he seems like a very straightforward guy. Like, Honestly, he seems like a good Christian guy. He's <laughs> <laughs> very loyal. Way ahead not of his time. Not yeah. exactly, but <laughs> but I think I think he's a good guy. Unless you disagree, Archer. Well, I was just gonna say, what's the Cyclops' name again? I mean, Polyphemus. Polyphemus. He's pretty straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, he just eats a few of the a few yeah. of the men every day. Well, he can only look, look in one breakfast. direction. So. 
(laughs) (laughs) Not anymore. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Someone want to explain where we're at on the internet? I would love to. Um, Please send us an email. Please, please, please send us an email at witnessthegoodfight at gmail.com. You are also more than welcome to send us a DM on Instagram or Facebook at thegoodfightpod. Um, We would love to talk with you. And we hope you are enjoying reading um, The Odyssey alongside us. And if you're not, I hope that this inspires you. Um, And to all of the Lithum people out there, have fun. Yes. Prompt for reaching out. Uh, tell us whose voice you like the best on the podcast. <laughs> I feel like all our guest Wait, speakers not... have really nice podcast Tina, voices. Tina, that's not fair. Your boyfriend's the only person who replies to <laughs> <our> <laughs> <list>. No. <laughs> yeah. We already know what he's going to say. <laughs> We're, I'm trying to get more people to reply. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so anyone other than Tina's boyfriend, yeah. please. <laughs> That that vote is no please, please send, us a, please send a message that, that at least there'll be a tie. Yes. And uh spread the word too. If you know someone who took lit hum, whether it was last year or this year or fifty years ago, I'm sure they remember the Odyssey and would love to to hear a, to be brought back to the joy of that book. So spread the word and uh, we'll catch you next week. Bye. Yes. Bye-bye. Bye bye.